What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Going Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We've got a fun one for you today. Not only is there a lot of spring football to talk about, but I'm going to bring on one of my favorite writers, Tyson Alger from the I-5 Corridor. We're going to talk about some football storylines in general and look at spring ball a little bit, but more so just kind of the entire upcoming season for for Oregon. I don't know if you know Tyson. He is a fantastic writer. He used to write for The Athletic and The Oregonian covering the Ducks. Now he's got his own substack uh, called the I-5 Quarter covering, you know, sports throughout the state of Oregon and kind of, you know, whatever stories he wants to cover up and up and down I-5. It's uh, it's a really cool venture for him and he's one of the best storytellers in our region uh, in my opinion. So uh, I think that's a really good follow if you don't already subscribe to him at I-5 Quarter. I encourage you to go ahead and do that. As a little appetizer to all of that, though, I want to quickly go over the start of spring football season for the Ducks and kind of empty out my notebook after the first couple of practices that we were able to watch. Then at the end of the show, I'm going to break down the latest from Oregon basketball. You know, the Ducks play uh, UCF in the NIT on Sunday afternoon, so... Um, I'm recording this on early Sunday morning right now, but I plan to hop back on after that and kind of give a, a reaction to the game, whatever it does happen. It might break down to that. So uh, we got a really great show for you today. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. Let's get into some spring football. I don't really know uh, what I want to call this segment yet, but it's something that I plan to do throughout the football season this fall and definitely throughout the spring too. But it's where I sort of empty my notebook and get into what I saw at the practices this past week. So, of course, the Ducks opened up spring practice on Thursday and we were able to watch the first 18, 20 minutes or so of practice on both Thursday and Saturday. So, Let's start with some of my notes from Thursday. Um, It may not be all that important. This is always something that's kind of fascinated me more than some other people. But one thing that I love each and every year is looking at the new numbers for both incoming players and the the number changes for some other players. So just a few things that stood out to me. Uh, Jordan Birch, the edge transfer from South Carolina, wearing number one. Um, I love that. I love a defensive lineman in a single-digit number. I love Brandon Dorless, number three. Uh, you also have linebacker Jeffrey Bossa changing from number 33 to number two, uh, which, you know, some people dislike it. I, I'm a fan. I, you know, I'm not opposed to that at all. You got Justin Jacobs, Iowa linebacker transfer at uh, number four. And then you've got Jamal Hill, the safety from last year, from changing from 19 to number nine. Um, I mentioned Bossa and Hill because I think they're two important people to talk about. Um, both of them look like they really, really bulked up quite a bit this offseason. Uh, starting with Bossa, I think, I don't know, we don't have the the heights and weights on the official roster yet um, to compare what he was last year to this year, but just from the eye test, seeing him, you know, walk into practice, seeing him out there stretching on the field a little bit, it looks like he's legitimately added, you know, 10 pounds or so, 5 to 10 pounds of muscle, and he looks bigger. He looks like more of a, a solid, I don't want to say you know, probably inside linebackers where he's going to end up this year. So um, I I was just encouraged by what I saw from him. We haven't really seen them do too much on the field. We'll get 
more into that a little bit later, but it looks like he's added quite a bit of size this offseason. And the same can be said for Jamal Hill. Um, he, I mean, he looks huge. You can go up. We've got a, a photo gallery on, on Ducks Wire of just the first two days of practice. And you can see some pictures that I have of Jamal Hill, you know, walking into practice. And man, he looks massive this year. So um, there's, you know, there's an interesting development with Hill where he might be changing positions. He was uh, safety last year, but he might be moving to kind of that linebacker position. Uh, it's funny. I mean, little inside the belt, but we, we take attendance at every practice. I mean, I, I show up there early with Eric Scopel and Jared Mack and James Crepia and Jared Denny. And we kind of watch these guys walk in and we, we take off their numbers as they come in just to make sure that we know who's there and who's not. Um, and it's funny. We were walking in yesterday. Jamal Hill was walking in with Triquiz Bridges and Bridges shouted out that, Oh, Hill's got a new number. And James chimed in like, yeah, new number, new position just kind of as a joke and and they both laughed because they're like well yeah that that may be kind of true so i don't know if i'm reading too much into that reaction but um i think that he probably is going to play some linebacker this year we asked dan about it on i believe it was on thursday someone asked dan about the potential of jamal hill moving around a little bit in the defense and he he said you know we're going to we're going to dual train our guys everywhere we're going to we're going to try and get guys able to play multiple positions so you know, he didn't really give much of an answer, but I think that, you know, some some breadcrumbs are leading to the fact that Hill probably is going to move make a move to linebacker, which I think is really a solid move for the Ducks. I mean, we've talked that they've got a lot of depth at safety. They're not really they're not really lacking for bodies at that position, but they are they could use some extra help at linebacker. I mean, you've got like I mentioned, Justin Jacobs, a transfer, you've got Bassa. If you throw in Hill, that's great. You've got Keith Brown, Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart, Connor Soul, another transfer. But outside of those guys, it's really not that deep of a room. So um, I've guessed before that I think they're probably going to try and add at least one more guy via the transfer portal at that position this year. But um, if you can move Hill from safety to linebacker and have him actually be a really solid piece and really productive there, I think that's a massive benefit for the team. One other thing I have written down is that there were a lot of recruits in town uh, watching Oregon practice both on Thursday and on Saturday. There was definitely a bigger group on Saturday morning. Um, you know, as you would guess, the weekend, more people make it to town. But there were some really notable guys out there. Um, five-star cornerback Bryce West was there. Four-star offensive tackle Fox Crater, an Oregon commit, was there. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about him later. USC transfer wide receiver Gary Bryant was in town and he was on a visit to Oregon, which is pretty notable. I think that the Ducks are in a pretty good standing with him and uh, we're going to learn more about his potential commitment at the end of this month. Um, But I asked Landing about the importance of having these recruits in town for practice rather than the spring game or games in the fall and just kind of how important that was and, and what his viewpoint on that was getting them out there for practice. And I really liked his answer. Here's what he had to say. Our best pitch in recruiting is when people come and watch that practice and they see the way we work, they see how we develop talent, and they see how much our guys enjoy practice. So it's really important for us to take advantage of uh, this beautiful place, get people here where they can experience it firsthand uh, and see it for themselves. While we're on the recruiting topic, Lanning had another really interesting quote uh, after Saturday's practice it was that I want to play for you. I asked him about his philosophy when it comes to Oregon commits that are taking visits to other schools, you know, after committing to Oregon, after giving their verbal commitment. For example, Fox Crater, who I mentioned earlier, was in town this weekend. 
he has, I believe it's seven other visits, eight other visits lined up to, to different schools this spring. Um, visits including one to Alabama, he's going to Georgia, he's going to LSU, and he's going to USC, among others. So um, I asked Landing what he thought in general about commits taking extra visits after giving their verbal, and I really liked what he had to say. I mean, in this this day and age of college football, you get so many flips, and there's there's recruiting flips. Oregon, I mean, Oregon flipped several players last year um, to their own recruiting class. So, I mean, it's it's not like the Ducks look down on people flipping. I mean, they're you love it when they flip to your team. You hate it when they flip somewhere else. I mean, look at five-star quarterback Dante Moore. I mean, he was a, a Duck for several months until he wasn't. He flipped to UCLA after taking visits to UCLA once being committed to Oregon. So, yeah, I asked Landing what his philosophy was on on players taking visits and kind of what he he thought of it and if he encouraged it and what he told the players that are are going to do that and uh this is what he had to say. Yeah, there's a lot of I mean, I think each situation is different. Certainly we love having committed players be committed to us and not take trips other places, but they need to know where they're going when it's all said and done and they have to have a great feel for that. It's our job to continue to recruit them to be here. Um you know, like I said, I think I've said before, I probably wasn't my wife's first choice, but over time, I won her over. We had to do the same thing when it comes to recruiting, right? And just continue to keep doing that same thing. Okay, back to the notebook. Uh, to be honest, there's not a ton to share since we're only allowed to see so much at practice, and most of it is stretching and some special teams and a little bit of individual work. I mean, we get, I think there's two periods outside of stretching. And like I said, I think it's 18 minutes per day, both on Thursday and Saturday. So uh, a few notable things that I have written down. Troy Franklin has been working a lot as a punt returner. He's one of the leaders in that punt returning group, which is interesting. I mean, he fits the mold as someone that could be, you know, potentially lethal back there, really a, a benefit for the Ducks. But I'd be really interested to see if they actually keep him there and utilize him there this season, just because he's so valuable to the offense. Um, You know, you you don't ever plan for players getting hurt, but when you take your, your wide receiver one, one of your top offensive players, a potential Bolitnikoff award candidate this year, one of the best wide receivers in the nation, you know, that's, it's a little bit risky putting him back in special teams and getting him in a spot where gunners can really get after him. And he's got a, a shot at getting injured. I don't know if you want to risk that. Um, So I'll be interested to see how long he stays back at that position or if he's, you know, just kind of testing it out right now. You also have incoming transfer Tez Johnson back there. You got Chris Hudson and you have a true freshman Cole Martin, uh, you know, a defensive cornerback defensive back working back there. So I thought those names were interesting. Something to watch a little bit. One other thing, I am really excited and intrigued to see the first look at this offensive line rotation. Um, we've talked about it a lot going leading up to spring ball. There's there's a ton of talent there. and There's four opening open spots on the starting line to fill, maybe five even. I Marcus Harper is returning. He was a starter last year, but you know there's nothing to say that he has his starting spot locked in just because he was a starter last year. So. We've seen a couple of drills so far while we're walking out during, you know, a period that we're not technically allowed to, I mean, we're, we're not supposed to be watching it. We're walking out. We're not, we're not allowed to report on it at all, but it's been interesting to see, you know, who's lining up where on the offensive line. I'm not going to get into it, obviously, because I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but um, it's just been, it's been interesting. I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, the first, the first drills that we're allowed to watch and allowed to report on where those guys actually line up. Um, it is the first week of spring ball. So, you know, 
this could mean absolutely nothing. I mean, you could put, I wouldn't say Bo Nix on the offensive line. That'd be crazy, but there's, there's guys that are going to move around. And, and the fact that they're doing it in the first week of spring does not mean that's going to be the starting lineup. But like I said, I'm, I'm very interested to see how they utilize this talent on the offensive line going forward. Cause they've got a ton of talent. Um, it's just going to be really, really curious to see which guys slot in where. Lastly, it's become clear that there are still a few more players that will come uh, after this two-week break for the Ducks. Um, if you didn't know, the Ducks so the Ducks practiced Thursday and Saturday. Now they are off for spring break for two weeks. They will return to Eugene and get on the field on April 4th, I believe it is. That's a Tuesday. Then they'll go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday throughout the, the month of April and the spring game on April 29th. Uh, but they have they've made it clear that there are more additions coming. Um, that's when the new the new spring term obviously starts at Oregon, so you're going to get some guys enrolled there. We haven't been told who exactly, but Lanning did say that they expect a handful of guys uh, to come with the team after break. I would expect that one of them is Ole Miss transfer Tysheem Johnson. He was someone that I I kind of thought was with the team. I expected to see him on Thursday, and he was not listed on the roster. Uh, but I I think that he'll probably be here in the spring. Another one is four-star cornerback Dalen Austin. I know that he's kind of posted on social media that he's been in Eugene, and and he, I mean, it's he's shown on his Instagram story that he's been on campus and and kind of around the team, but he's not listed on the roster either. So uh, I think he's going to be enrolling next term and probably with the team uh, once we see them next time on the field. All right, that's what I've got for you on the spring football beat. Let's take a quick break and bring in Tyson Alger to talk some football storylines. All right, it is about 1 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon as we record this, and I am very excited to bring on Tyson Alger to talk about the Ducks. Tyson, as many of you know, is the brain behind the I-5 Corridor, a great substack covering the best sports in our region. And as I said in the intro, it's, uh, it's a really good follow if you're into good storytelling. Tyson and his protege, Shane Hoffman, often put out the stories where, as a fellow journalist, I read it, and I'm like, damn, that is, that's a really great story. I wish I had thought about that, so... Uh, Tyson, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. But like doing the the damn, I wish I would have thought about that. When you put out um, the the organ, the the best organ player across all sports all time bracket that you're doing right now, like I I thought about doing something like, like that a month or two ago, and I was like, oh, like I'll have plenty of time. And then and then you you blew it out beautifully, and it, it's got a lot of traction. So uh, one, thanks for having me on, man. And two, it's 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 a pleasure. <laughs> Yeah, that that bracket really blew up more than I thought it was going to. I I honestly thought it would just be kind of a a podcast episode and not much more than we we took it to Twitter and got I think over 10,000 total votes on the whole thing and Joey Harrington was commenting and Sabrina was commenting and it was like, "Wow, this is actually okay. I didn't expect any of this to happen." So, that was a, a ton of fun. It was a lot of work, but I'm glad that we actually did it. It's it's kind of funny when this job does reward you occasionally with like the unexpected like success. I mean, like there's I'm I'm sure you've had this too, where like you you pour your heart and soul into like a story or something, and then it goes live, and then you know it's kind of crickets, right? And then yes, uh, but the then worst. you know you can have but then you can have something totally random that like catches on, and and hope hopefully it evens out. I don't know if it always does, but uh, yeah, those those are definitely the successes that you uh, celebrate a little bit. Let's hope this podcast interview for both of us blows up and we create major <laughs> positive storylines that, that will help both of us succeed in the future. Um, 
I brought you on today, obviously, to talk about football. We've got, uh, as we're recording this, the Ducks are a day away from starting spring practice. I know this episode won't drop until next week, but um, I know that all of us who cover the Ducks, we're pretty happy about football coming back because it feels like the content well is going to to open back up for us. I know after what's been a relatively frustrating basketball season for both the men's and women's hoops. So um, to be completely honest, I don't think that basketball season was very conducive to page use. Um, but you know, we're <laughs> now we're getting to the the time of the year where people start tuning back in and they start clicking. So, just curious, how many drives do you think you will make down to Eugene over the next uh, next couple of months? How often will we see you at the the HDC? Yeah, I uh, I'll I'll be there. I'll be there tomorrow. You know, first day of spring ball. It's always kind of like a little bit of a little bit of a celebration. But uh, yeah, I. I I, I want to try to get to like Oregon's Oregon States and Portland States more consistently than I did last year. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. especially last off season, it was still like a little bit of like finding my feet with where the corridor was at and like what I want to write about and establishing it. And I mean, just even, you know, financially figuring things out with in, in those regards. But um, I feel like I kind of know what I want to do a little bit more. And uh, I mean, like I was down at Oregon States for spring practice last week and got to kind of check that mm-hmm. out. But I, I do think this is a really important spring for the Ducks, and, and there are a lot of a lot of moving pieces that have to come into play. So I, I do think there, I'll, I'll probably be in, in Eugene more than I was last spring. Is, is is what I'm trying to say. Nice, I love to hear that. So instead of just sitting here and talking about you know the offense and the defense and the depth chart, uh, I tipped off Tyson to a little exercise that I want to do in order to to preview not only spring ball but the season in general. Um, I'm still kind of debating in my mind whether this is a great idea for an exercise or kind of something that might fall flat, but I think we'll figure out as we do it. It's, it's something that, um, I don't think a ton of people do, but what we're going to try and do is predict over the nine next, the next nine months or so, what the headlines and storylines are going to be about the Stucks team. So basically we each brought five things to the table that we predict someone in Oregon media will write about over the next year or so. It can be a concise headline that you've conjured up or simply a storyline that you think is going to be newsworthy that comes out of Eugene. Also, you get bonus points if you predict something as perfect as Chris Hudson spills the beans and leaks Bo Bo Nix's injury news to the nation (laughs) or Dan Lanning gets tattoo that goes viral. So if you have anything that's that's that precise, uh, I think that you definitely will win the exercise. Um, Do you have any questions before we get started? Oh man, I wish I would have thought of some more funny ones, but no, I, I think, I think I have the gist of it. Let's, uh, let, let's, let's look into our crystal balls here. <laughs> crystal balls. Anyways. Okay. I will start us off my storyline. My first storyline that I think will be written in Eugene this year, the headline transfers paradise landing establishes Eugene as a place for stars to search for stars in search of a second act. So basically the gist is, I think Jordan Birch is going to follow in Christian Gonzalez's footsteps. And I think he's going to have a really solid year Eugene and kind of show that, Hey, this transfer portal thing, Oregon kind of has the right idea. And if you're someone that may not have had the best start to your career, I think that Oregon's going to be a place where you can come and and figure it out and really, really elevate to the next level. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's well on their way there. And, and I mean, like, obviously they, they utilize the transfer portal so much like this coming into this year, but I mean, they, they really laid the groundwork. I mean, the groundwork for it last season. I mean, like Bo, Bo Nix is on his way to becoming, you know, a kind of a pantheon guy in, in Oregon, if, if he can kind of keep this up and, um, you know, 
something that I might spoil for myself a couple down later, but I think Bucky Irving is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And then if you start to plug, plug the defense <clears throat> the way that they did this year. Yeah. Like it's, I, I think, I think Oregon is kind of almost advertising itself as like kind of um, if things aren't either working out for you on the East coast or you want to have one more opportunity. Like I, I think, mm-hmm. I think, you know, between Oregon and Washington, because obviously it's worked out with Penix as well. Like, like they've both shown that like these can be two very high profile schools that do get a lot of attention um, that can have success. And especially going into next season and the year that years after with the extended playoff field, if you're, if you're a star quarterback and you have like one more year eligibility and you want to give it a ride, like I'd go over to Oregon, right? Yeah. Like, why not? Like, it'll, 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 it'll just be really interesting to see like how, the development of quarterbacks works at these schools because like, again, they've positioned, I mean, Oregon has a history now at this point, I mean, digging back to Vernon Adams and then Dakota Prukop and Anthony Brown and now uh, Bo Nix, like it. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be fascinating. And it's kind of interesting that that history with quarterbacks, I'm not tell, I can't tell if they're going to lean into that or I think they want to kind of get off that train to be completely honest. I think that they hope that, I mean, Ty Thompson, obviously, but then Austin Novosad, I hope that they can turn into more of a de- development type of program instead of a transfer portal program for quarterback, at least. Um, I think that if you right. can find transfer portal success in any other position, then you're going to be you know, solid. But if you kind of rely on that, you know, grad transfer quarterback type model that we've seen, I think you might get into a sticky situation. Yeah, but it's such like a like a give and take because like you know we all know that you can de- you know put three years of development into a guy and then you put him out there on on Saturday and it's still kind of a crapshoot on on whether or not it's it's going to work and so it's every every off season I think just about any competent college football staff now it's going to at least have to take a, a look at the land of what like the the transfer quarterback market is because. Um, you know, like with Oregon's roster, like this year, let's say, let's say Nick's would have left this year. I still think Oregon's roster is in a talented enough position where if they would have taken in another plug and play guy, you mm-hmm. probably would have at least contended for the PAC 12 title again, instead of having to break somebody in. So it's just kind of, you got to weigh all those options, but you also don't want to become the school that's known for like, you're never going to play the kids that you actually recruit to come there. I think if if Knicks left this year, I think Oregon would have been in pretty much the same spot that Oregon State was, and they would have been trying to get DJU and trying to get someone like that and where they feel like they can contend in the Pac-12 and potentially make some noise in the, the national landscape. But uh, fortunately, Knicks came back, and, and they're set at the quarterback position for this year, at least going forward. All right, Tyson, what do you predict will be a major storyline coming out of Eugene at some point this season? All right, so I'm not going with the start of the season. I'm going, the headline is going to be on October 13th, the Ooh, day before dates. Oregon plays. The day before Oregon plays at Washington, and the headline is going to be, will the real Oregon defense please stand up? Because Ooh, like it's, it. it was fascinating to look, it's fascinating looking at Oregon's pro day this week, and most of the guys that a lot of people were watching are all on the defensive side of the ball, whether it be Christian Gonzalez, who's a projected top 10 pick or Noah Sewell or DJ Johnson, who's a, a freakish athlete, or even Bennett Williams, who has been a very, very strong contributor for the Ducks for the last two years. That would make you think that Oregon had a good defense last year, right? Yeah. No, nope. no. Like, like Oregon, Oregon had a, Oregon had a really bad defense last year and now it's losing all of its really good players from said defense. And And I know there's, especially when you get a new coach with a new system and everything that comes with that, there's adjustments, there's, there's players who may not fit a system here or there, but there are so many new faces on this defense this year. 
and a lot of them are really good people coming in like Birch, like as you mentioned, I just think it's going to take a little bit of time for them to all adjust again. I mean, it's, it's insane. The amount of turnover that uh, this roster has had since Lanning took over just a little bit over a year ago. I know you guys are better at tracking this than I have, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a massive number, right? And yeah. so I, I think, I think the ducks can be better on defense this year, but I don't expect it to happen right away. And I, I obviously the run up, with non-conference is a little bit easier than it was last year. Turns out not having to play Georgia in week one uh, might, might be able to uh, ease things in a little bit better, but you play at Washington pretty early in a game that like has a hundred percent conference title implications to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, I had a headline for that kind of storyline as well. Mine was in an offensive world ducks get defensive because I think that we're going to have so many offenses in the Pac-12 that are, you know, I mean, you got Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Cam Rising, three of the best quarterbacks in the nation. And I think that, you know, I, I may be projecting that Oregon will have a better defense this year and one of the better defenses in the Pac-12 because I, I like the pieces that they've got. I think Dan Lanning has done a really good job of retooling that defense with guys that fit his scheme. So um, I may be right. a bit of a homer in projecting that they're going to be better and one of the best defenses in the Pac-12, but um, I think that that could be something that we write down the line is that, oh, this this Ducks defense is actually one of the few in the conference that is able to stop some of these other high-octane offenses. If you remember in December, Oregon allowed, what was it, a 21-point comeback to Oregon State in the second half, and they didn't yeah. throw the ball. Like, I, I don't think it's being homerish to say the defense could be better this coming yeah. year. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, my next headline. This one, it feels like very low-hanging fruit, but I'm going to take it while it's on the board. My headline is, Knicks to New York, Bo Nix accepts invite to Heisman Trophy ceremony. It's easy. It was there for the taking. Um, I think if he has a year even, I mean, similar to last year, assuming he doesn't get hurt and he can play, you know, all how many 12 regular season games, I think that he could very well end up, you know, in that Heisman trophy conversation. And he was there last year until he got hurt against Washington. So um, I know that it, it may be ambitious to say that he has the same year. Cause some people think of it. I mean, I had Jeff Schwartz on the podcast last week and I asked him what he thought. I was like, do you think Bo Nix is going to be a Heisman candidate? He's like, honestly, I don't really think so because there's so much competition. I think that last year may have been more of a one-off than people want to admit. So, um, but if I'm, if I'm predicting headlines, I think that might be one that we, we hopefully get to see once we get into late December or late November and into December. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you because like, it, it feels like it was right around when he got hurt last year was like when the rest of the country was finally coming around to the fact that like, man, like Bo Nix is having a heck of a year. Um, and I think that would have grown a lot earlier had they not played Georgia in week one. Like that was, that, that game had like a three or four week hangover. I think just in terms of like the national perception of Oregon, just because people were grappling with the fact that, Hey, everyone knows Georgia's good, but like, we just, you know, we just saw that happen. And and because they hadn't seen any people, Georgia do that to anybody else. It was just kind of hard to uh, recover from that. Um, it, it's going to be tough in the Pac-12 just because, you know, more eyes are going to be on Michael Penix than there were a year before. More eyes are going to be on Caleb Williams. Um, I, I think Bo is really good, though, man. And I think he's I think he's so important to Oregon's roster. Um, and I think that I think the running uh, component is is pretty important, too, because he'll be able to, to pad some stats that way. But, you know, kind of as you were talking to with Schwartz last week. 
Um, when I wrote my book, I did a profile on Nick a couple weeks ago. And one of the things mm -hmm. that like we were talking about in terms of his considerations to come back was, was very much that he was like, can I do this again? Like that was, that was far and away the best year of his career. And as you know, Bo's an incredibly confident person. Like he thinks yeah. he can do that again, but he's also, he's also pretty rational. Um, and that a lot of really good things happened for them last year, just down to like the chemistry that he had with Kenny Dillingham as offensive coordinator. Like that was, that was on its way to being like a, a one hit wonder Bo Nix season until it kind of crumpled there a little bit at the end. Yeah, and that's one of the things that will be really interesting to see is how that dynamic works with Will Stein this year. Because, I mean, like you said, it's it was a perfect match with him and Kenny Dillingham. They had the relationship, and it, it worked seamlessly. So, um, And another thing about your your profile on Mix, you talked to him, and he said that he's trying to really build up more more mass, particularly in his, the lower half of his body. I saw him yesterday at, at uh, the Pro Day, and it looks like it's working. I mean, I just from the eye test, yeah. seeing from from fifty yards away, it's like this guy looks bigger than what I remember him looking like last year. So, um, I'm curious to see how that changes his game. So that that kind of, that segues into um, kind of cheating with my next my next prediction because I was going to say I, I think Bo Nix is going to play himself into the first round. I I think wow. that I think he. I think he answered a lot of questions last year in terms of just like, mm -hmm. can he be a dynamic quarterback in a, like a high powered offense? We saw him throw some beautiful balls to Troy Franklin, to Dante Thornton. Yeah. I, I know there, like, you know, there were occasional, like it's so easy to nitpick too. It's easy to be like, Oh, like the receiver had to wait on this one or this or that. But like, we're, we've, we also had to watch every single throw he did that season. And I think, mm -hmm. I think last year with his development of not always putting on like the superhero cape and like making that tough throw, like, you know, kind of like the Bo Nix experience that some people talked about at Auburn. Yeah. I think he got, I think he, I think he got a lot smarter with the football. He showed that he's one, like he's legitimately one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the country. Like I know it's always kind of mm -hmm. like, Oh, he's sneaky fast, you know, like that kind of uh, cliche, but like uh, he was a fast runner last year. He was a strong runner and he did it at smart times too. Like he's, he's buying himself in the pocket to like make plays, but also like, there were a lot of designed runs for him. And I, I think with the way that the NFL is kind of moving, like that is such a dynamic kind of almost a necessity to have in the NFL. Um, I don't think he necessarily has like the arm talent of like, say a Justin Herbert or like a Patrick Mahomes or like some of these other top level things. But I think just some of his, his game experience, his physical traits and the fact that he's building himself up to kind of weather this play style that, that he's developed, uh, yeah, I think I think Bo's going to go in the first round next year. I like that, and it's I mean that's certainly a bold prediction, but it kind of felt yesterday that seeing him be able to throw at the pro day. I mean, it's not usual that you get current college quarterbacks who are able to throw to to graduating receivers at a pro day. I'm not sure. I think there's some rule. James Crepio was trying to find out what rule it was, but and how they kind of got around it to have him throw. But it felt really cool because it felt like a, a prelude to what we're going to see a year from now, where you know there is going to be that hype in Eugene, that hype that we had with Justin Herbert on his pro day and back in 2020, the day that the world ended because of COVID. Um, it feels like we're going to get that again next year with Bo Nix if, if everything goes right. So um, I hope that Oregon's streak of first rounders can continue. And I hope that it's, it's Nix next year that we're talking about. All right. Um, my next headline, Bucky Irving has no ceiling other than the Oregon coaching staff. 
I think that the um, the timeshare in that running back backfield might be another frustrating piece for Oregon fans and media members again this year. Um, we've seen what Bucky can do, and it's incredible. But we've seen that the coaching staff, I think, fairly so, is is really working to limit his exposure because they want him healthy. And it, it makes sense, and I see why they're doing it. But as you know, as fans and people who watch these games, all we want is just to see these. You know, I I don't think it's wild to say that he could be putting up two hundred plus yard games with multiple touchdowns if they really kind of took the lid off and took the leash off of them. So, um, by your reaction, I think that you might have had something similar to that headline. Yeah, I I just had and I didn't even write the headline. I just had like in bold uh, Bucky Irving in, in the pantheon of all time Oregon greats. Uh, I love that. Which seems, which seems like, which seems like a bit of a like, you know, reach considering he was like a part-time guy last year. But um, he was so good, and like, I, I think I had that as uh, I, in in January. I, I did some predictions posts, and I had, <laughs> I think I had like Bucky Irving in the fifteen hundred yard season. Like, I, yeah, I, I just that. just his his averages. If you go into some like the advanced stats, like of like the uh, amount of guys he's made miss. Um, I mean, like he's way less than some of Oregon's backs, like the last five, five six years. I mean, it, it, there's a reason why it seems like CJ Verdell was always injured is because he was, he ran like a bowling ball, like in the guys, which mm-hmm. was fun and effective to watch, but they just didn't, they didn't. Yeah. It was, it was, I, I think, I think Irving's a step above those guys. There are obviously some X factors this year. I mean, there's some new faces on the offensive line, new, new coordinator, those sorts of things. But man, I, I like watching that guy. I mean, just this most simplistic form of why we like football of like, I like seeing that guy do that. I like watching yeah. Bucky Irvin run the football. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. When he has the ball, it's supremely entertaining. Yeah. Cause you just, it's, he's got that Michael James factor where when he gets the ball, you just, you don't know what's going to happen. It could end up being a, a 60 yard touchdown run, or, I mean, he could break, four tackles and he's really a small guy too. I mean, he's, he's thick, he's, he's stout, but he's a short guy and he does not seem like someone that can run as powerfully as he does. So we've, we're now predicting that Bucky Irving is going to have an awesome season. We're predicting that Bo Nix is going to have an awesome <laughs> season, so, which leads me to my next prediction. There's going to be a lot of Will Stein for head coach headlines oh kind gosh. of or, or rumors going around already. Uh, wow, Cause like yeah. we, we just, yeah, well, well, I mean, I mean, you say already, but like Kenny Dillingham was totally. here for nine months, and then he pieced out, and Kenny's yeah. younger, and like I, I think we're at a point now where if if you have quick and major success at a program like Oregon or like kind of high level Power Five, there aren't a whole lot of factors that are going to keep you away from having an opportunity somewhere. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I think I think Dillingham deserved that job, and mm-hmm. I'm also amazed that he got that job because like yeah. You know, if if we go back to if we go back to a year ago, like we're probably doing this and being like, oh, well, Bo Nix and Kenny Dillingham, like, you know, can Kenny Dillingham call play? You know, there was like all these kind of question marks, mm-hmm. and then you see guys prove themselves. And yeah, if if Oregon's as good as we say they're going to be in here, that math equation means Will Stein might be getting a, a, either a fat raise or a, a, a new office somewhere after next season. Yeah, that's the thing. I think if that, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think I that definitely can happen. It would be interesting to see how much the fans hate that storyline as it comes out, because I think we're fans get have gotten tired this off season of, Oh my gosh, so many of these position coaches, Adrian Clem, Kenny Dillingham, all these guys have left for, for different jobs. And so while fans dislike that, I think Dan Lanning would be thrilled because you're, you're still building that, 
mantra as a program of it. If you want to succeed and get your dream job, come to Oregon. We will boost you up right away. We will send you to the NFL like Adrian Clem. We will let you become a head coach like Kenny Dillingham. So um, that'd be just an interesting dynamic to see play out. I think one of my, the nice thing about doing the corridor is I can just write stupid stories every now and then. I think, <laughs> I think one of my favorite ones is I, I, I made, I made a quiz, like a full on quiz of uh, who's the offensive coordinator. And it was like yes. facts about like the, like the nine different offensive coordinators organs had. And then uh, I love I that think one. I did it dating back to hell for it or so. And it's just, yeah, it, it's crazy. Like it's, it's, especially when you, and I know college football is different now, but especially when you look back to, the continuity of the staff that Oregon had before, before the firing happened. And, and or I don't know why I air quoted it because it definitely was a firing, but before, <laughs> before like, yeah, Oregon fans were just so used to like, this is our staff. This is going to be our staff 10 years from now, like just that continuity. And it's, it's different now. And I, and I think part of that is just because of Oregon's kind of in this like purgatory of being like, a top tier program, but not like the top, 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 top tier that can mm-hmm. just, you know, not worry about them leaving for jobs outside of the NFL. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially when you're having to bring in guys from other places that might have, um, you know, dreams to go home and coach at Arizona state or like, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I think that's just going to be how it goes. Yeah. Well, this segues perfectly into my fourth headline. With Tosh Lapoy gone, Oregon's Chris Hampton promoted to defensive coordinator. <laughs> I think Ooh, that, okay, okay. I mean, like I like we were saying earlier, I think that Oregon's defense is going to be better, and I think they're going to have a, a really solid year. And I think that Tosh Lapoy, the current defensive coordinator, I think he could start to get some head coaching buzz if everything goes right for the Ducks. So um, if he ends up taking a job, I think that that – Dan Lanning hire of Chris Hampton to become, I believe was a safeties coach from, he was the the former defensive coordinator to Lane. And he's someone who has that, that big game experience and he knows how to, to call a defense and run a defense. So I think part of the hire was yes, to replace Matt Pallage. Um, but part of it was that Lanning was kind of stacking the deck in his coaching staff. And he knew that, I mean, he sees this trend of up and out as coaches get better and they, they get more experience. They're going to leave for better jobs. So he's kind of putting someone a little bit lower in his coaching depth chart per se, that he knows that he can feel confident putting him up a defensive coordinator a year or two from now, if we were to say that Tasha Ploy were to leave. So um, I think that if Oregon has the success on defense that I think they will this year, I think Tosh Lapoy could be gone to get a head coaching job somewhere else. Maybe not like a high profile school, but you know, one of the the mid tier schools in the nation. And um, I believe the ducks would, would see that plan come through with landing, getting Hampton to the, to the next stop. Yeah, I can see that too. Um, okay. So now let's, let's go back to our math formula. The offense is good. <laughs> and then if, then if, if the defense is good, that's going to lead yep. me down to my fourth pick which uh, traffic projected to be bad heading down to Eugene for insert, whatever you want to call the rivalry name now. Uh, okay. Cause I yep. think, uh, I think, I think this year's corridor cup as we've been call- calling it over at the corridor. I love it. I'm the editor yeah. and I can, and I can do Why it. Not? Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think that's going to have a ticket to the PAC 12 title game riding on it. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of parity in the Pac-12 this year. I mean, obviously, you kind of know the front runners between the Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah. Oregon State's such an intriguing team to me this year, just because they they beat Oregon in the second half without a, without throwing the ball. 
They <laughs> lost to USC by like three points in a game, like in a game they threw several interceptions. And then that one like blowout off to Utah, they had four picks and one of them was a pick six. And I mean, it was legitimately, they were like decent quarterback player away from having a playoff resume. And like, I, mm-hmm. I know like a lot of things went well for them and it's, it's really hard to, it's really, really hard to confidently project Oregon's like to take that leap and be like, Oregon state's going to make the playoff when you just look at the, like the talent discrepancy on the rosters. Cause like, it's still, it's still mm-hmm. dumbfounding like the actual sheer recruiting talent uh, between like Oregon state and the teams that's competing against in the pac 12, but they won a lot of games last year. And they're the only team in the conference that was like, Hey, our one major flaw was quarterback. And they mm-hmm. really upgraded. Like, no. I, I think I think I think DJ can have a really 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 good season for them. Like I, I think we're talking like kind of like Bo Nix type of career revival. Um, mm-hmm. But the difference is is like it's going from like nothing to that. Which so anyway, yeah, I I, I think I think the Ducks and, and Beavers are both going to be really good this year, and it's going to come down to one of them. One of them is going to have to to stay home when when the the, the championship game heads out to Vegas. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I I also believe that the Beavers will be a force to be reckoned with in the Pac-12. I think they're going to be there. I think they're getting unfairly left out of the conversations right now with USC, Oregon, you know, Washington, and and probably Utah. But it's because we haven't seen it yet. And like you said, if DJU can have that type of season that we know he's capable of, um, I think that's going to be the difference. And really, it's going to come down to to quarterback coaching. And I think we all feel pretty confident that Jonathan Smith is – you know, the right guy for the job there. So um, yeah, I think that that, that game is going to be really big and, you know, we've been doing this all day. Your pick leads into my pick. So my last pick is going to be a divided household, the story of the Uyunglele family. And this is a story that, that I actually, I hope to write. I've talked to um, big Dave Uyunglele before uh, the dad of both DJ and Mateo. Um, I would love to just kind of sit down with him and talk about what it's been like to have one of your sons at Oregon State and one of your other sons at Oregon and and kind of what that's like leading up to the game. It's probably going to be a post-game article and just kind of profile what the viewing experience was like for him and how it was with your sons playing against each other and this this heated rivalry that you know they're really getting their first experience of. I don't think that they really know. I mean, they they're aware of the rivalry between ducks and beavers, but getting in the center of it and kind of having to root for both sides and root against both sides, it's going to be a really weird dynamic for them. So um, that's something I, I hope me saying this right now doesn't let anyone else steal that idea for me in the later. I'm, uh, I'm going to have to try and get him on the line and, and book that interview soon. But uh, I think that's going to be a really, really fun divided household storyline for those two. You probably shouldn't say like I hope no one else hears this when you're talking to another writer. Um, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> you've you've probably got no, some more I'm... connections too. So, eh, I, shoot, man, I've been out of the game too long. All those connections have been have dried up. Um, yeah, that's 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 gonna be fascinating, man. Like I, I don't know if like Mateo is gonna be able to contribute like right away like this year, but like I mean, yeah. like God, he's talented too, and mm-hmm. um, it's 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 just it's it's fun to have kind of like that brotherly thing that you kind of had with the, with the Sewells, but now it just being on like kind of the opposite sides of the rivalry. That would be a lot of fun. Okay. My fifth one. We're on five, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Are we five, on four? Last okay. One. The nicest thing about this off season has been, it's the first off season in 
ages where there hasn't even been like really a whisper of like, is the coach going to leave? Like, yes. <laughs> like, is he it, it, like, and, and a lot of that, a lot of that too is with like Chris, like I think even before Chris ball was like really going to leave, like he, you know, he was, his agent was pretty good at working like the contract extension every year. It seems like every year he's getting like one or yeah, a couple of years added on. And then like, it was always like, Oh, you know, we're working to get this done, but like, it was always kind of part of the discussion. And and that was something that, you know, Willie Taggart started and that's kind of, you know, that started a snowball that became such a huge storyline going into Lanning's hiring just because of where he's from and, you know, the letter and kind of all those sorts of things. And, I think whether they're good this year or whether they're bad next year, the headline will be should or will Lanning be here? Because let let me take you through the route if they're bad. And I don't I don't I don't think they're gonna be bad. And by bad and by bad I mean like four or five losses, like yeah. you know, com- yeah. comparatively speaking. That feels like but, before, yeah. Yeah. This uh this is gonna be quite the mess of a football season in the Pac twelve because it's just like Let's say Oregon has four losses and it's USC, UCLA in the Pac-12 title game and they go off to the Big Ten and Oregon stays in the Pac-12 and it's just like, man, like, like what happened? Like that sort of like I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think the most of Oregon's fan base is pretty patient and rational, but like, it's been a weird like five, six, seven years, man. And like, I I think if all of these, all of these things, the last seven years have happened and then it leads to like just being kind of like an average Pac-12 team. like uh, And again, I'm not projecting this to happen. I'm just saying, uh, yeah, like it, I, I think, I think it could just be like, uh, all right, like, was this the, was this the right decision, especially because of Lanning's youth and inexperience as a head coach. However, if they go out and like go undefeated or make the playoff or win the Pac-12 title game, mm-hmm. again, how old is Lanning? He's like 36, 37. He doesn't have ties right to now, yeah, he has a national title as a defensive coordinator already. Like he he can absolutely love it here. He can say all the right things. He can get a tattoo with the school's logo on it. Uh <laughs> but in this day and age of college football, like that's cool, but like what's like 10 million annually like mean to you? You know, because yeah. like that's that those are gonna be like the bonkers numbers that we're yeah, those are gonna be the bonkers numbers that we're getting into with like the, the Big Ten expansion with the SEC. I mean, shoot, like what's Cristobal getting annually? Like nine? Like I think at least I remember, nine, yeah. Or yeah, like that's that's insane money. And that's insane money for somebody like Lanning who's like 36 years old. Like that's like you know, we're getting into like generational type of money there. And again, I'm not saying that Lanning's like, these are at the forefront and cares about. And I do legitimately believe him when he says that, like he likes, you know, he, again, he tattooed himself, <laughs> yes, uh, he did. but, but that's the, the cycle of college football and where we're at right now means that this was the last off season for a bit where we're going to have stable coaching waters. So it looks like Nick Saban leads the way with 11.7 annually. Kirby Smart, 11.25 annually. Dabo Sweeney, 10.5 annually. I'm pretty sure that right now Lanning gets around, I forget what it is. I think it's around it's like four, four or five. Annual. Yeah, it's around there. Yeah. So yeah, I think if someone shows up to his door and, and kind of offers that paycheck, you know, it's, it's something that he at least has to listen to. I've always thought that, I mean, credit to Lanning, he's done a really good job during his time at Eugene of saying, 
this is where I want to be. I have eyes for nowhere else. He said everything he's needed to. When that that whole Auburn storyline popped up last year, it was very entertaining because he came out and he did the right thing and said, I have absolutely no intentions of going to Auburn and kind of made a joke of it. But one thing that that always concerns me is I don't know that it's another college job that would take Lanning away from, from Oregon. I think that if he got a call from the NFL, I, you know, people have compared him to, to Pete Carroll a lot in the past, you know, couple of years, just because of the young, you know, kind of brash attitude he has in the recruiting shops. But I think that he might, you know, take a sniff at the NFL if it came calling and, and try and, and make his mark at that level. So um, yeah, I don't think that, Duck fans are free of the storylines of will this coach leave anytime soon. But that's, you know, that's kind of the name of the game when you have one of the top up and coming young coaches. Well, it's it's also kind of the name of the game when like your program has entered into this stratosphere where the expectation legitimately is like you need to go win a national championship because it's kind of like mm-hmm. pie in the sky or nothing. And so like you you have to bring in coaches who um because Oregon just doesn't have that natural umbrella of like past players who played here who are like great coaches somewhere like you have to go out and bring somebody who's gonna be a risk to maybe leave you at some point and if things Mm -hmm. if you accomplish your goals like you're gonna have to do it again (laughs) yeah all right we've got our five storylines each that was fun do you have any honorable mentions that did not make the cut that you think might be written i've got a couple but i want to hear if you got any Let's see here. Uh, I had one that in the end, the Pac-12 killed itself. I was going to kind of talk about too much parody in the league, which is which is like which is like what people have been talking about, which is what like people have been talking about for a decade. But like this year, it's going to be like legitimately. There's like four or five good teams. Yeah. Uh, I had that. I had I five corridor wins Pulitzer. It's too far down the road. Um, I just slipped that one in there, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, that's how. Uh, what what else was on your list? I had uh, move over Chip Kelly. Big balls. Dan is risking it all in Eugene. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I think we I like might that. get some like more uh, some more fourth down decision making that's that end up swinging games in the the Ducks' favor. Um, this wasn't a headline. It was more of a storyline, but and it's kind of on the negative side and, and more of like in the minutia of spring football. But I want to know what's happening with Dante Manning because he's the highest rated mm-hmm. cornerback commit in school history. And he's still kind of searching for his spot on the starting lineup. So um, that's just, that was one further on the list, but um, I'll be watching yeah, that. This I, I, actually. Yeah. I, I had one of those thoughts too. It, it was just along the lines of like, I mean, it's been going on like five years now where we've been basically kind of reporting on like Oregon's best ever recruiting classes. And like, obviously some like pretty good players have come from that. But if you kind of look over it the last period, like Oregon's biggest impact players have come from the transfer market, like pretty yeah. consistently, like at, at what, at what point is the play on the field from those recruits going to catch up to their rankings? Like, I, I think that's going to be something that, especially with the quality of recruiting that Lanning did this last year. Like I, I, yeah, like I, I that, that needs to pay off because they're, they're not going to win all of the, uh, they're not going to luck out with all these transfers paying off every time. Well, and that's something that we'll learn in the next year or two, which is this a good recruiting coaching staff or is this a coaching staff that can develop? Because I mean, 
I think anyone would say that Mario Cristobal is one of the, the greatest recruiters in college football, but I don't think he's one of the best developers that we've seen. And I think that a lot of what you said, some of those high profile recruits that we've gotten, we're still waiting on them because they didn't really receive the development that, that they need. And of course, I'm not a college football coach. I don't know how to develop these kids better than they're already doing. So I'm interested to see what Lanning can get out of some of these talented players that we haven't seen before. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, I mean, like, that's the thing, too. It's like you 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 see the teams that Oregon's hanging around in the recruiting rankings. You know, it's it's just off of that that top five, you know, the, the big boys. Um, and the, the teams that are, like, kind of the the ones you look back in Oregon history, it was always kind of like doing more with – or doing – yeah, doing more with less sort of thing. So I, I mm-hmm. think – I think fans are kind of anxious to kind of see like, all right, let's, let's optimize like what we've been optimizing the last five years. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's wrap it up there. Thank you again to Tyson for joining us. Uh, If you don't already, please go subscribe to the I five corridor and follow him at Tyson Alger on Twitter. I promise you won't be disappointed. Tyson. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Actually. Uh, Thank you for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's keep this brief because it is late on Sunday night and I just got back from the uh, from the Ducks game. Good win. The Ducks blew out UCF in the second round of the NIT tournament, 68-54. to And it was a win that uh, really should have been bigger. It should have been a bigger blowout than it was. Oregon played pretty well, but they turned the ball over 13 times in the final 14 minutes, which kind of put a damper on the win. I know that Altman, his first line of the press conference was that Man, the darn turnovers took all of the fun out of that one. But uh, regardless, they're moving on to the quarterfinals of the NIT where they will face, uh, they'll host Wisconsin on Tuesday night at Matthew Knight Arena. Um, this was a, it was a solid win. I was really impressed with Nate Biddle. He had a career high, 21 points, 13 rebounds, career high for both. Um, I think it's been really cool to see how the NIT has given him a chance to really flourish and kind of come out. I don't want to say come out of his shell because he's been a solid player all year, but him playing without and folly Dante because Dante's out with injury. It's just given him a chance to really, you know, be that starting center play in that five role instead of the four. And he's, he's been playing really well. So um, it's been, it's just been cool to see him and knowing that he's coming back next year and knowing that he's for sure coming back for another year I'm just I'm really excited to see what we can uh what we can get from him next year and if this is any kind of uh prelude to what we're going to get I think it's going to be really positive um Kalel Ware had some really good minutes tonight he played well Quincy Garrier was really solid um I'm just I'm pretty impressed with what this Oregon team is doing without their three their three best players I mean without Will Richardson no one Folly Dante no Jermaine Cousinard they're still they're coming out to play every game and they're playing hard. They're playing pretty well. It's it's not always the cleanest basketball and not always the prettiest basketball, but they're gritting it out and they're getting the wins. And uh, they kept saying post game. I mean, multiple people. Uh, Dana said this post game. Biddle said it. Ware said it. That they're just happy to keep playing right now. They're happy to be playing basketball. I know that everyone wishes that they were in the the NCAA tournament. And you know when you play college basketball you dream of playing in march madness and unfortunately that didn't happen this year but they're just happy to still be playing still be competing and um they will you know they'll hopefully square up against wisconsin and and have a really good fight there i don't to be honest i don't know too much about wisconsin i can't say i've watched uh too much too many of their games this year but um i think it's going to be a fun entertaining game 
Dana did say after the game that he doesn't really expect Infali Dante or Jermaine Cousinard back. He wasn't quite sure if they'd be healthy in time for that game on Tuesday. He said he was hoping for a game on Wednesday night to see if uh, see if they could get an extra day and, and get them back healthy. But with the Tuesday night game, he's not sure if they'll be back ready to play. But regardless of who's there, um, they are, they're going to score up against the Badgers. And if they beat Wisconsin, they will go to Las Vegas for the final four of the, the NIT. So um, yeah, uh, I'll say it again. Good win. And let's, let's see what they can do on Tuesday night. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you again to Tyson for coming in and talking about the Ducks and some storylines for this year. I think that was a fun way to to kind of preview the year. It'll be interesting to see how many of our predicted headlines end up coming true. I don't have an exact plan going forward, but I'm sure I'll be back on next week to likely talk some basketball. Of course, football's on break until the start of April, so we're going to try and wrap up the basketball season and mercifully put that one to bed um thank you guys for listening and following along if you want to check out more of my work you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com follow me at zachary c neal on twitter we will talk to you guys next week until then take it easy (laughs) 